Hello, and welcome back to the Emerge podcast. Today on the show, uh, excited to offer uh, a conversation between John Verveke, Bonita Roy, and Tomas Steiniger on the relationship between wisdom and complexity. This is a conversation that was part of the work and research of the Respond Network. This is a project that's being stewarded by Nathan Vanderpool, who you'll also hear on this episode. The purpose of the Respond Network is something like, well, it's kind of like a distributed research network into ecologies of practice in the context of the meta-crisis. And one of the things that the Respond Network is doing is it's offering a practitioner's retreat. This will be happening August 7th to August 12th in Bergerac, France. And I believe there are still spots available. So if you're interested in really being at the cutting edge of ecologies of practice and how it is that we can build a sort of full stack approach to human transformation, this would be an amazing opportunity for you. And so I've put a link in the show notes where you can learn more about the Practitioner's Retreat and about Respond. So please go and check that out if you feel called. And I just want to, as I've been doing before every episode, make a plug for my Patreon. I'm excited about the work that I'm endeavoring to offer to the world. And I can't do it without support. And so... If you believe in me, believe in the ethos, the inquiry of this podcast, really invite you to become a supporter on my Patreon, which you can also find a link to in the show notes. As a Patreon supporter, you'll you'll get like um, kind of behind the scenes look into my process behind the work that I'm doing. I've been sharing presentations and various uh, ephemera from my work that isn't yet ready for the public to see, but in the kind of intimacy of the Patreon community, I feel uh, comfortable sharing. So if you want to get that little kind of um, deeper cut, you are invited to support me on Patreon. It means a great deal to me, and I'm so appreciative of everyone who chooses to to support me. It's really, I feel very blessed. Okay, so without further ado, here is a conversation about wisdom and complexity brought to us by the Respond Network. Enjoy. So this conversation is part of the ongoing initiative of the Respond Network which is, you know, kind of like a distributed research network into um, how do we bring forth wisdom at a time of planetary crisis. And, and in, in fact, what, the way that Nathan is increasing, and I and John are increasingly considering this is as a form of qualitative research and participant observation. And so you all, the three of you have been gathered together as a kind of uh, team of experts to respond to an emerging inquiry within the network. And we're considering this to be a kind of um, 
attempt at doing that remotely. We've done this. We did this with Bonnie and John at Maple in Vermont, and it was really sublime. And we want to see, like, can we get that same kind of magic online and perhaps, you know, be doing it in a more ongoing way. Um, and so this conversation does fit into a larger context of the research that the Respond Network is doing, and it will be saved and analyzed as part of that research. And it will also be the case that this conversation in particular will be shared publicly on my podcast stream, as well as on Radio Evolve, and perhaps on other podcast streams uh, as, as we see fit and as makes sense to do so. That's the kind of large, larger context for the conversation. Great. Okay, so I'll explain the roles quickly here in the conversation. Um, there are the three of you, uh, Bonnie and Thomas and John, will be participating as experts, responding to an, an inquiry, as we said before. And then uh, Daniel and I will be playing <clears throat> the roles of the mindfulness mirror. Um, so there are two of these. I'll be playing the scribe, um, which is reporting on what I saw in terms of how the inquiry pr progressed. I'm giving feedback about uh, the the process of it, like so you don't have to necessarily track what everyone was saying. I'll I'll, get, I'll scoop that back to you. And also, uh, Daniel is going to be playing the role of the herald, uh, as John calls it, or as I'm trying to rename it, the vibe. <laughs> He's going to be uh, so the scribe and the vibe. Daniel is paying attention to the musicality of the conversation timing and texture and uh, metaphor and gesture and who's talking and these kinds of things. And we will at a point about halfway through the conversation, we will uh, sort of take a small break and we will both give back to you what we've noticed so far in order to, to re-attune uh, you to what's going on in the conversation. So we'll be acting as your mindfulness mirror today. Um, yeah, so that's those are the rules. Uh, and before we start, we want to um, just take a moment to remember and reactivate the virtue by which we want to have this conversation, through which you want to have this conversation. Um, there are three virtues that we have had so far respond conversations according to, and they're the same as today. Um, the first one is Sophia. So I will engage in wise conversation by following the good, the true, and the beautiful. When I'll commit to that. Um, humility is the second. I know that I don't know. And uh, so each of us needs the self-correction of the others in order to pursue Sophia. Um, and then the third is dialogos, so that we will come into good faith participation in opponent processing. So based on my humility, my need for self-correction, I need to take seriously how you're challenging me, how you're looking uh, has something to it. Um, and, and what can that say to me? How can that shape me and inform me as I shape and inform you through my uh, contributions? So those are the three uh, virtues that we want to commit to. Sophia, humility, dialogos. Um, with that, I will turn it over to Tomas to give us a little context of how this inquiry arose in the first place. Thanks, Nathan. In fact, uh, it came out of a dialogue or to better say an interview that I did with Bonnie a couple of weeks ago, where um, I asked her about the relationship between wisdom and development. And I, I know Bonnie's context a little bit, that her developmental uh, perspectives, which are very unique, but also related to other perspectives that we know. But there was something that she pointed out that really uh, stood out for me. Because 
as we talk about development, we talk about uh, basically being able to uh, cope with bigger and bigger forms of complexity. And uh, the way I ask the question, isn't it interesting that there are people who are really able to deal with a lot of complexity, but seemingly are not wise, and that are people who are kind of more simple, to put it that way, uh, in, in usual terms, but are, they, are wise, they are wise men and wise women. What is this about? And uh, what Bonnie did, she brought something to my attention that I was not uh, thinking about in these terms, at least, uh, that besides forms of complexity and uh, complex thinking, there's a form of rootedness that is part of our human nature, where we have, um, before we even created our cognitive mind, we already were embodied. And there's a biotic and a prebiotic layer in that, that uh, allows us to be situated in a certain context, in a certain environment. And sometimes it's easier for people in less complex uh, uh, surroundings to be really rooted in this embodiment, uh, in this environment, in this way. And our mind, our modern, postmodern, metamodern mind, whatever, is maybe able to deal with a lot of complexity, but it's also easy to get lost in that. And how to hold both together was what this conversation was about. And it was very fascinating to hear Bonnie's perspective and to see that there's a relationship between complexity and wisdom uh, that I think is important to dive into. And of course, this is all related in my understanding, not only my, to John's understanding of lost forms of knowing. And so I'm very excited to talk about this with John and uh, Bonita. I guess we could start simple here and uh, for the audience and just we're all aware there's a pre-trans version of this. I don't think we have to go into it. We can check ourselves for it. But um, I think that the, the three of us, the five of us are sophisticated enough to know that when we use certain phrases, we're not romanticizing simple people. This word is different, right? We're using these terms in a, a trans uh a trans dimension, not not a throwback dimension. So I just want to set that out so that we don't constantly revisit that unless it seems obvious that we've made made that uh, mistake. I, I think in, perhaps implicit, well, I hope this will turn into a question, um, perhaps implicit in what you're saying, Thomas, on behalf of, of Benita, um, is the idea that it's not complexity per se um, that is in a relationship with wisdom, but complexity in certain domains. Um, so I, I take it that, for example, uh, the corporate executive may be able to deal with the complexities of the market um, in a way that maximizes property for maximizes profits for the corporation. Uh, but we wouldn't necessarily necessarily see that as wise. Uh, because it's there seem to be um, important dimensions missing. Uh, one is the normative dimension. Wisdom is somehow oriented towards the good, the true, the beautiful, and uh, and and enhancing their appearance, instantiation in people's lives. Um, and then wisdom also has to do with 
enhancing individual and collective agency, our ability to address uh, problems. Um, it goes beyond our intelligence in that it deals with higher order problems, uh, the problems that have to do with how our intelligence can be self-deceptive and also higher order issues around the social, cognitive, cultural domain of agents being very messy, being very uh, dynamically dynamically changing, containing real uncertainty, not just risk, because of the capacity for human beings uh, to be endlessly creative. You can see, just for example, in my use of language, I can produce sentences that have never been produced before, and uh, Thomas and all of, and, and Bonita and Nathan Daniel, you're all understanding these sentences. This is an old Chomskyan argument. But the, the, the point is, is an important point. It's, it's, I take it that it's not complexity per se, but it's complexity in domains that have a normative import and that that is bound to, because I think normativity is bound to, our sense of um, producing, protecting, promoting persons, which I take to be cognitive agents that exist in a community of other cognitive agents. I, that's not an exhaustive definition, but I think a necessary uh, criteria. So um, we would expect certain domains to be one in which we would look for wisdom, and Plato's always doing this, right? You know, the shoekeeper is really, the, sh the shoemaker is really good at making shoes, but are they wise? And the idea is, no, they're not wise because that knowledge doesn't have any normative import to it, and it doesn't seem to contribute to the education of virtue, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so one thing I would like to ask is first, is that part of what was going on in that distinction, that there's a distinction uh, between domains of complexity and only some of those domains of complexity are relevant to the notion of wisdom? And then secondly, um, if that lands, perhaps what might those domains, um, dimensions be? Um, does the wise person have to be good at baseball? No, clearly not. Does the wise person have to be good at archery? No, not. Um, and so um, there, I've posed uh, my two interrelated questions. I think we should just have a new conversation here because with T Thomas, we were more like storytelling. And, you know, w when you come in, John, it becomes much more, there's a more precision that I think you're asking for. Yes. So we, so we'll just not answer relative to what Thomas and I were talking about. Your example, I think uh, we can look at one element of that. And that is complexity in, in just practical terms goes, let's say, in two different ways. Like, the, the guy who's really good on Wall Street, there's, there's, he's looking at one thing, I want to maximize profits. And in that one little point, complexity, you can get really, really complex. You know, you keep slicing and dicing through the rabbit hole. And so, so it, seems, it seems like infinite complexity, but just like you said, once you step back and you say, why am I even doing this? Is it good for the world? Then there's this kind of, larger and larger embrace kind of complexity. So we can acknowledge that you can be studying one tiny little point of the universe and find infinite complexity in it. I would argue that's because more of 
that our minds are complex, the way our minds work around the problem rather than the problem itself. And I would also then argue that that's a move that the wise person makes. Is there really complexity in this or is my mind adding complexity? Am I, am I exacerbating and accelerating complexity by the kinds of questions I keep asking about? Like, well, what if I create the data? And what if the data moves faster? And what if I have fiber optics? Like, we're actually complexifying something that's just a, a myth, right? And so, so I'm just using these directional cues, you know, like down this little rabbit hole, or do I take in more breadth? And, and then I'm just going to um, uh, carry this forward. So that's what I heard you saying, and I think it's a really good distinction. And I just want to carry this forward by uh, this example that I often use to get at complexity. So I go to the doctor, and I'm, and you know, I, I don't know really what's wrong with me. I, I'm already, the human body is already complex, right? You go to the doctor, you've dramatically increased the complexity of it. Because now you have the human body, the human to human interaction, the medical institution, you know, and so, so this is an interesting way to look at, uh, you know, because usually we would just think, well, I go to the doctor and make it simpler. But the whole system's now gotten incredibly more complex. I don't know what really what this has to do with wisdom, but um, right now that's that's seemed like an interesting piece to put in there. There are two things that stand out for me from what both of you are saying. One is the normative uh, dimension that you brought in, John. Uh, just uh, uh, that um, wisdom is related to somehow the good, the true, and the beautiful in 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 that. And then when we talk about complexity. Uh, um, also to use one of your terms, what is a relevant complexity? Mm. And then, of course, relevant to what? And I think for that, we also have to be aware that wisdom is always related uh, to a certain presence, to a certain situation, to a certain reality, to a certain relationship. So uh, to be wise is something that is not kind of uh, somewhere in nowhere, it's related to living relationships. And in that, uh, to have an understanding where I am, who am I with, and how is this related to everything else, uh, asks for two things for me. First, to be really here, to be present, and to hold this present in a way that is not oversimplified, to be aware that there are contexts to, to this present. And I think wisdom is very much aware that there is a, a wise way to be with each other, which is, a, let's say, a good way, a beautiful way, a truthful way. And it, there is the capacity to be aware that uh, we all have re relatedness in the way we are here. And the way I'm able to hold this, uh, I am able to develop some wisdom in the way I'm with other people. So maybe what I, something was sparked to me when you made that move, Thomas. Uh, let me see what you and Benita think. I mean, I heard um, um, Aristotle's distinction then between Sophia and Phronesis, 
And then that gives us dip, it gets us more a little bit more refined about the normativity. So Sophia is the understanding of the principles of truth, goodness, and beauty. It's it's mm-hmm. it's that right. <clears throat> and the phrenesis is is the ability, like you said, to make it appropriately present in the situation at hand. Um, so phrenesis is I can properly draw this into this situation, and then Sophia is I am properly drawn to these normative demands uh, to pursue the true, the good, and the beautiful. And then Aristotle, of course, argued that wisdom is um, the best possible relationship between those two. Mm-hmm. And then that um, would give us two different ways of uh, uh, talking about the, the, the normativity. Um, and it would also mean two different kinds of complexity, I, I suppose, one would be the complexity that that you find in in the unique individual situation, how it's uh, irreplaceable, how it can't be reduced uh, in in a particular situation. That that sort of com- that sort of complex novelty, and then you have the kind of complexity of the true, the good, and the beautiful, which is um, much more. I don't know what it's much more about how everything all fits together um, in some fashion. That that calls us, that orients us. Does that? Do you think that helps bringing in this distinction between Sophia and Phronesis, and that right? Uh, there's what we draw into a situation, and then how we're drawn onto these sort of ultimate principles. And it doesn't mean we grasp them or control them or consume them, but they call us beyond ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whereas the Phronesis is how we're called to action. How we're called into a situation. Does how does that land, or does it not land? It's interesting. Uh, I mean, you're saying this, John. I do have a kind of an Heideggerian response to that. Yes. Uh, which which means I uh, uh, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to investigate this. I have a skepsis about the principles because right. it, it it brings me to a theoretical abstract relationship. To wisdom in that side, that somehow I don't deny that this is important and part of it, but somehow I, I'm very scary that we go somewhere where I basically lose touch with reality as it is. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know the answer. So it's a very interesting distinction because it's exactly this, this kind of Heideggerian question is there something uh, just in the theoretical sphere that stands on its own, or is wisdom ongoingly uh, related? To reality as it, it is happening, uh, as it is an eignis. If, if it's important to stay yeah, there yeah. and not uh, be too abstract with the abstraction, I don't have the answer, but that was my response. Well, what I would say then is I think you're making a good point, and I think this goes to a, 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 a standard mainstream academic misunderstanding of Aristotle um, in terms of theoretical and practical wisdom. And I do not think the, uh, the relationship to Sophia is ultimately um, theoretical. And I think here's where the where uh, the Platonic element in in Aristotle. I think of it as theoria, the, theoria, I should say, theoria, not theory. It is that capacity to move between levels of the self and levels of intelligibility, right? That is then being brought into the potential either relationships with the other people in the situation. So. I try to do this 
in terms of like the horizontal axis of how we are with each other and then the vertical axis of how we are participating in different levels of being and levels of the self and not make it a I mean, I'm interested in a scientist in the theoretical project, but I think that's a knowledge project, not a wisdom project. And insofar as we want to talk about wisdom, I would move off of theory into theoria. Um, and, and that's how I would reply, respond. Um, and, 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 I, and I would put it to you that Heidegger calls us to that because Heidegger calls us to remember being as not the property shared by all beings. Or, or any kind of super being. He's trying to get us to move in, in theoria. That's a contemplative practice, I would argue. I'm going to return to my little example because I think maybe it might fit. And I was, I'm wondering, John, if your terms can be mapped on to my example. I'm, I'm not sure. I I can force them to, but you know, when you force terms to fit, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is usually, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, so the doctor, so person comes to the doctor, the person's body's already complex. And so I would say I got, and I remember this because of what you said, Thomas. So the doctor can then look at the body and say, okay, this is a complex system, I know it's complexity, and I have all this knowledge about the immune system and that. Or then something shifts, and he's like, oh, I'm in this relationship with this person, and it's asymmetrical, and it's asymmetrical in both ways. There's things that I don't know on that side, that, and there's things. And so that shift was that, that like, I have, when the complexity arises, can I expand again? So that I'm both humil humbled because I know I'm in, I'm inside this relationship. And then maybe the your vertical dimension is, and yet I've expanded my metacognitive yeah. so that now I'm trying to consider this system, not that system. So maybe yeah. those two moves are maps somehow on what you're saying. I think that what you just did was beautiful. I, I think that's exactly it. I think um, what, what that move from, I'll just use a couple of terms, from the molecular to the personal, um, right? That is exactly a move between levels of the self and levels of intelligibility, levels of reality. And then, but, but, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then the, the, there's, there's sort of phrenesis on both levels. There's the phrenesis of how do I interact with you appropriately uh, as a person? which is a normative term, right? Uh, people, persons are entities to which we have normative obligations, right? And then I drop down to, yeah, but at the molecular level, I still have to know, like, how do I properly intervene in the timing of your disease, right? And then wisdom is, how do I best get those to speak to, constrain, and be responsible to each other so I can be responsible both to your personhood and to your molecular existence, which is relevant to your disease. I think it maps perfectly, if, you, uh, if you're happy with what I just did there, giving it back to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, the terms are still a little, you know, because you have, you have important terms, but you also have your own grammar. So like, uh, when if you say, say Heidegger, it means something different to me than you. But yeah, I think we get the move. So we could work work that out. I, I do I do see that. Um, 
Yeah. Also, uh, Bonita, when you said what you said, and, and also your response to it, John, I, I found uh, really very relevant. Because uh, when you were bringing your example with doctor, of course, a doctor has to hold all this complexity of the medical level. But you basically, you, you exemplified this move as soon as the doctor comes into relationship. And I think that's also what you said before, John, about theoria and have a different relationship to theoria, where it not becomes this kind of how we know Western medicine. It's mechanical understanding where basically uh, it's very difficult for a doctor to uh, not just stay with the molecular level of the relationship because basically becoming an, an, uh, a mechanic of medicine and not having a living relationship with the patients. But the, what, what you're describing and where I would say there's wisdom showing up in the profession of a doctor where somebody holds all this complex wisdom, but something is opening up that is really in relationship that holds the, a, a different form of complexity, living complexity of, of, of the moment interacting with the patient, what the patient needs, what the roles are and, and the personal relationship all that. That's all uh, something that comes out of the capacity to be in a relevant way as a doctor with the patient uh, in, in a way that leaves behind the, the, the abstract complexity, but comes in the real here-ness and now-ness with this patient, but being still a doctor. Yeah, that, I mean, that was well said. I, 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 that just lands very well for me. Um, I, I, and I, I guess the 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 issue is perhaps then like the technician, you know, uh, the technician um, has a, a way of sort of accurately representing and manipulating the world. Uh, but the 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 wise person knows how to. It's more a notion of fittedness um, mm -hmm. and connectedness than it's an issue of accuracy. A representation that affords manipulation. Now, the doctor has to have some of that, hmm. or it's not going to help you. But if the doctor is only that, we say things like they don't have a bedside manner, or they're 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 not actually treating persons; they're just treating diseases. We have these slogans for picking that kind of individual uh, out, um, and I think they're well placed. And so, then the issue that for me again is right. It's like we have we have this relatedness this way. But also implicitness is the relatedness between the levels, because the, the, the doctor is not only fitting, but trying to get these different levels to appropriately be related to each other. Mm -hmm. uh, because if he emphasizes the personal at the expense of the molecular, he's also a bad doctor, right? He's also a bad doctor that way. And I, I had, I, there was a doctor like that in my past. He was a great person to talk to and visit, but he wasn't particularly good at helping me uh, mm -hmm. with, with the disease, right? Um, and, and, and so it's it's... Like it, I'm trying to, I guess I'm trying to say there's a kind of complexity that's intrinsic to wisdom itself, uh, not how it's responding to the complexity of the world. It's about trying to balance this horizontal and vertical or, or however we want to talk about it. I'm sensitive to what you're saying, Benita. We, we've got to, we got to be trying to speak to each other, not just speak at each other. But there's something about this, this management this way, the, the relatedness this way, the relatedness this way, and then how those two are related to each other. That seems to be really, really crucial when we're talking uh, about wisdom and complexity. And I think those are, 
and I worry about Benita's critique here because it might be re relevant. But I think those are those are that's a complexity sort of intrinsic to what wisdom is, as opposed to intrinsic to the environment that wisdom is addressing. Did that make any sense? It's not necessarily that you're in a very complex situation uh, in, uh, relative to your knowledge, but nevertheless, you're trying to do something very, very sophisticated uh, by like balancing the, the phronesis and the Sophia uh, appropriately to each other, dealing with the novelty, dealing with um, the uncertainty of that situation while still trying to respect what's normatively appropriate. Um, I, I'm, does it, I'm trying to make a point here about there's something, there's not only a complexity outside of wisdom, but there's a complexity inside of wisdom. Um, it is a dynamically self-organizing, self-complexifying thing. That, uh, that's what I was hearing out of what you were saying, Thomas. I think that's what my first question was trying to get at. I mean, we have this one word, complexity. Yes. And it has to do like multiple jobs. And um, so I would, I would agree with you, yes, but I, I would say that those two different uh, kinds of complex, complexity deserve their own terms. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think yeah. that's right. I think that's deeply right. I agree. Um, they probably have important relationships with each other, but I, I agree. I, do, I think they're, I think they are, uh, they're significantly different, probably in kind, not just in degree. Um, I agree. I, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, and the whole field is filled with this need. You know, so, for example, Nora Bateson is talking about a certain kind of complexity, which is different than what other people are talking about in or organizational complexity. So, yeah. So we can just use that term and notice that the, the connotations or the, the context keeps shifting. Um, but, yeah, so I agree with you. If, if that's the case, then there is a there's there is that there's then there's. There's a there's a a self knowledge, not autobiographical self, but knowing a awareness of that. I'll call it inter. I'm not happy with these terms of need, but oh, forgive me. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's, a, there's a part there's a part of wisdom that is, you know, um, directed towards this internal complexity, and then there's a part of wisdom that's directed towards the external complexity. Sort of the self knowledge, world knowledge directions. I don't even like these terms, but I'm trying to point at Yeah. I very much agree with what you're saying, John. Uh, and what comes to me, and uh, I'm interesting how you, how you respond to that, is uh, I, there, there is this uh, self-knowledge and the internal complexity, and let's call it the world knowledge. Yeah. And uh, uh, there is also the need to hold both of that. and. Yes. Uh, there is also the need to forget all of that, <laughs> uh, which is, is some, which I would say is a certain form of knowing where I, 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 I am able to hold this inner complexities and I, I, I am able to relate to that, but somehow I'm so much, uh, letting go of this, that something different comes from a different place that uh, creates mm. um, a flow state yeah. uh, that uh, allows me a different access to 
also the different forms of complexity that we are talking about. Yeah, that, that's, that's really good. I really learned very strongly for me. So let me try and say it back to you and how I would say it, but then we'll negotiate how we can both say it together, if that's all right, and all of us say it together. Um, I'm hearing you that, uh, you know, that, that uh, the wise person is all, also open to, like, following the logos. It's open to emergence of new intelligibility, new ways of relating, new fitness. Mm-hmm. And so they part of what they have is they have to let go of the cognitive closure that their knowing has and, mm-hmm. and open it, opening it up to being uh, importantly surprised um, by emergence. I'm, I'm struggling for words here, but is, is that like, I, I, I think there's something deeply right about that, right? The, there's the self-knowledge and world knowledge, but then there's a the third that shows up and yeah. that we, we are responsive to it and responsible to it. Is, is, yeah. Am I hearing you correctly? No, you, you, you hear me very well. What, what comes to my mind, uh, just uh, as an image or as an example, uh, is very simple uh, playing music. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it's an example. I think that everyone uh, has an intuition of that, that you can really kind of know your instrument and know the, 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 the melodies to play, but there's a certain... Uh, mastery that opens up when you let go of all of that. Yeah, it, it only comes after you master this. <laughs> exactly yeah. what you are talking about. It does not come before that. So also to 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 bring that in. But there's something where music becomes only really music, or uh, when um, there is this emergence. To use also this term again. Right. So this would this would be to bring in. Uh, something like, it's not identical, but something like a Taoist notion, mm-hmm. complement the Aristotelian notion, where the, the Taoist sage, right, is exactly the person who has, who, who can be appropriately receptive, responsive to, and responsible for the Tao, right, being called by the Tao. Um, I, I, I think that's deeply right. Uh, I would be very suspicious of uh, someone who claimed only an Aristotelian model of wisdom because of, um, I mean, we're definitely lo- being subject to ethnocentrism, but we're also losing out on, um, I, I don't, yeah, it, it's, that, it's, that, it's, it's that state, right? It's that pung. It's that, it's that um, receptivity to spontaneity that is nevertheless not chaotic, right? It's like the jazz artist too, right? Yeah, exactly. You you've got you can be receptive to the spontaneity without breaking apart or becoming arbitrary, right? You don't play jazz just by randomly spewing out notes and stuff like that. Well, it's, it's interesting that you're bringing that uh, because that's exactly how, also how I would word it. And uh, one could say it if if we bring it to a cultural level that the lack of wisdom of our Western culture is maybe also that we too one sided went into this Aristotle daily direction of all of that and somehow my interpretation also what Heidegger did is a Taoist move on on this uh, in the tradition of the Western philosophy but you see making the point uh, that something completely different is needed that we can uh, uh, open up to some wisdom in that because otherwise uh, we just become 
instrumentalists, uh, uh, technicians, uh, 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 scientific uh, people yeah. in, in, in whatever we are, we are doing. But we need all of that. There is also a necessity and a virtue to this Aristotelian dimension. But how can this be brought together is, uh, is a, on a cultural level a very deep question for how we can develop a wise culture. I, 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 I agree with you. Um, I suppose um, I understand the history you're pointing to. Um, I think there are there's other histories, even in the West, of uh, understanding, especially when they emphasize the theoria, theoria, I should say. I know I keep making that mistake, um, the theoria. Um, I th for example, there was a standard interpretation of phronesis as using what Aristotle called the practical syllogism, and mm -hmm. therefore it was reduced to logic. But you get a lot of people before and after Aristotle picking up on that phronesis is something much more like relevance realization than it is a practical syllogism. It's this ability to sense into a situation. Um, it's what people, I think, are trying to connote when they use um, conjoined terms like streetwise. They know a streetwise person has phronesis. They know how to find what's relevant and how to solve problems in that domain. Um, I, I think you're right that the logical interpretation of Sophia and Phronesis became predominant. Um, but I do think that, and this goes towards um, a, a Benita's sense, which I want to somehow get into the conversation about rootedness. I think we can use the Taoist practices to recover and therefore root ourselves in our own tradition better. Um, and, and so, um, I think that's. I think that's. I, I guess what I'm worried about is I'm worried about the opposite, and, and you invoked Heidegger as, as potential bridging here. But I'm worried about, like, thinking that this ability to—I'll I'll put it this way—to catch flow, is somehow alien or foreign to our own wisdom tradition. I think there is a way, especially through the help of other cultural lenses like Taoism or Buddhism by which we can recover that within our own tradition. Uh, because I do think there's, a, there, and this is the Confucian dimension of wisdom too, I'm doing what I'm talking about here, which is, right, you want to also be, you want to be appropriately rooted in, um, well, your tradition and your culture in order to be appropriately wise. Does, does that make sense as, a, as an argument? I, I think that one of the things that's happening here, I'm trying to stay with the way this conversation is going, so it's not the way I would usually say things, but I think we're limited by our mental models of dimensionality. Um, and I'm going to give an example after I kick out on this. Uh, so, for example, when we say rootedness, we say, okay, from the root, then we can complexify or something. And I think that's a mistake. I don't think that that actually maps on this process of developing and becoming more wise. I think, you know, my friend Tom Murray has uh, a whole article coming in the hand, Oxford Handbook of 
um, development where he, he calls these wisdom skills because there's like, we're, we're always in the middle of things. And then as moderns, we tend to complexify and complexify and, but we're actually looking for what's beneath that. We're looking for what's more in the rooted direction, but we can't get, see, we can't, I can't see a person as a doctor and start from the deepest root of the problem because I can't get there. I can't reboot all of human history and start from square one. But wisdom is always trying to access what's beneath this moment. But because of the way we are, we only have the ability to blah, 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 and get complex and then look at abstractions. But when we forget that, and then you get this shift and you realize, ah, this is, and now the thing is you asked about causality. When you're here, you have much more causal power, much than being up in here. And from down here, this looks complicated. So let me give you an example. I was on a call yesterday with the people of the uh, organization called Ademic. They're an educational institution that wants to build sacred societies. And we're coming out with our first magazine. And, you know, we're all intelligent people. We all know each other very well, been working on this project for a long time. And, and so here's the question what's the editor's introduction going to be, right? Because the, the introduction has to set the pace for the first magazine of all magazines and on and on. And so we start talking and we've got this interesting idea and that interesting idea and very rich conversation and it's getting uh, intellectually very rich. And then it dawns on me, like, because it's the topic is education. And I'm like, it's in your own title, Sacred Societies. The move is to recognize that learning is, it's, is already sacred. Like all of a sudden, like the, if you just can tell, like I'm a teacher and I've entered a sacred relationship with the child, it's already sacred. So how now with that reframe, I get this hit. Oh, now I understand education in a sacred society. Ah, to notice that it's sacred, to notice that because we can learn is a sacred gift from the universe. We don't have to learn how to learn. I mean, you know, and that everything is arising with this natural intelligence. How do I work with that? So, so then, of course, from that hit, then you have to write and you have to compose interesting sentences. But I think that this notion of the process is, is you know, you can complexify and complexify here, but this move always feels like it gets to something more fundamental, but not smaller, more fundamental, but more encompassing. And so this is where our mental models are hard because we think when we're getting more complex up here, in a way we get more encompassing. Um, but, you know, if I understand E equals MC squared, I understand a lot of the universe, right? So so there's like a, com um, you get underneath, you have more causal power and somehow it's more encompassing. But I think, this is hard because our mental models 
are are it's hard to imagine something that uh, is is has those relationships. Which relationships, Benita? That that uh, has relationship to something. I'm trying something to get... that's underneath, underneath. and is it, we we tend to think of it as. It's in a sense, it's a simpler principle. So we think of it as smaller um, and maybe less complex. Yeah, I, 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 one, this is just a clarification question. The invocation of sacredness, was that only in the example or that the relationship to the fundamental is a relationship to something sacred? Uh, both, I, I, both. Both, both, okay. I mean, you in a different conversation, it would be a different word, but it's always, there's always seems to me in many cases it has that same kind of uh once you get underneath you start to feel that you're tapping into something sacred or it could be originary or source all these words right you get the feeling that it's more rooted all these words are the same same word yeah So, so the wise person right is not only sort of open to catching the flow, the wise person is able to also resonate with what is, and I don't mean conceptually, I'm trying to get the original meaning of profound, that which is deep, that which underlies, that which is a sustaining source, and is in therefore uh, has a sacredness for us. Am I understanding you correctly? Yes, yes. I think that's exactly- The uh, word profound is is perfect. Good, as long as we remember the etymology. Because the word has just drifted away to just meaning it can mean, like you say, something that should can mean that. Like, like look at this huge map of reality I made. Wow, that's profound. Right, exactly. See, this is the problem with these directionalities. Yeah. But if we if we keep to the etymology of the word, then we'll we'll be fairly safe at capturing what you're talking about. Is that fair? Yes. Yes. I think that's right too. I think, and I, I, I and I have to say, I feel like we're catching the logos here in that. We are following each other, and we are we are uncovering dimensions, and not in some haphazard cacophonous fashion. But the dimensions are unfolding as relevant and related to each other, but also distinct to each other. So, uh, not to be grandiose, because I think that's inappropriate. But I think we're starting to exemplify like, what we're talking about, because right? we, we like we are catching something from each other but it's helping us unpack all of these important dimensions and put them into some sort of appropriate, intelligible relationship. I just wanted to note that because I feel like that is starting to happen here. And I think I like to note, and this is part of theory as opposed to theory, I like to note when a, when a particular virtue is, virtue is starting to show up and exemplify it, itself in us above and beyond what we are just saying about it. Because Mm -hmm. I think that is an important act of recognition to say, oh, I think the the thing we're talking about, we're starting to see how it's showing up as we are trying to realize it. I just wanted to, uh, I just, I just wanted to make that. I I just wanted to acknowledge that. You just made Daniel's job much easier. (laughs) Indeed. And I wanted to interrupt and say this would be a, a good moment, I think, to uh, to call on the mindfulness mirror. Uh, so we'll just try to reflect back to you uh, both what you've been talking about in terms of content and, uh, yeah, the vibe of the situation, how it went, uh, the musicality of the conversation. Um, 
<clears throat> so I'll start maybe by <laughs> just uh, asking for your for for you to excuse me that this was a very high power conversation. So I hope my my summary is is apt, or at least somewhat. Um, so what I start with is this this isn't necessarily in a chronological order, but what I came to here was the word complexity has to do multiple jobs that deserve their own terms. Um, and a part of wisdom is directed at toward internal complexity, another part's directed toward an external complexity. Um, we usually understand development as coping with bigger and bigger forms of complexity, but we're also situated in an environment. Um, and then complexity can be uh, understood as like depth in a very small area, but that might be the complexity of the mind um, versus we could recognize and handle complexity in its breadth, in the breadth of the, the context that we're actually taking into account more and more context. Um, there's a, a normative import to a community of cognitive agents, if that's not too wordy to say, like an orientation toward the good, the true and the beautiful and enhancing its presence in people's lives seems relevant here. Um, and we talked about the technician knowing how to manipulate the world with good representation and the wise person knowing how to fit to a situation. So you're um, doing something complex in that, in that fitting, a dynamically self-organizing, self-complexifying process. Um, and then we had going on to like wisdom being about the management of Sophia and Phronesis. So the Aristotelian model of wisdom. Um, and I have here like a kind of like three-part thing about the self-knowledge holding of inner complexities, different levels of the self that might express itself in being present. Um, other knowledge in some ways, I, I, I put that in myself, but being responsible to the personhood of the other, um, the theoria, not a mechanical understanding, but how we are with each other, being together in a good and true and beautiful way. Um, and then a world knowledge, like being responsible to the information in a specific context. And all of those three being sort of thrown into uh, a, a situation when one is expert in all of them, they can play the role of the Taoist sage who's also open to the emergence of new fittedness in every moment, like playing music and being a master of responding, um, receptive to spontaneity. And then there was the point that our the lack of wisdom in our Western culture um, may be that we've gone too far in the Aristotelian model, and we could use the Taoist model to root ourselves better in our traditions. Um, and then we move to this idea that from the root is actually like the place from which we can, uh, complexify, but the wisdom move that gets you to something more fundamental is, is this rooting, not becoming the more complex, but at the root, you have much more causal power. So something is more sacred, rooted, originary, the wise person is open to catching the flow and being able to resonate with the prof profound and sustaining source at the root. That's my uh, scribe recap. Daniel? I thought that was good scribing. Great. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> I'll do, I'll do, I'll attempt a, a kind of vibe reflection. So this is the first time you've ever done this. So, um, uh, so, so what I noticed is that the, 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 if there's a temperature to the conversation so far, it's, it seemed a little bit cool to me, maybe with like moments of real meeting and kind of resonance and kind of intensity. Um, I, my sense is that at the beginning, there was a lot of time where the group was sort of uh, trying to find a basis for resonance and shared inquiry, and that that really started to heat up just in the last maybe 15 or 20 minutes. Um, 
And then uh, just noticing in terms of speaking, um, it seems like Bonnie and John are speaking more than Tomas. And I get the sense that Tomas is really intensely listening and um, playing a, an important role in terms of holding all the perspectives that are being shared. Um, but again, he's speaking less. Um, yeah, so that's I'll, I'll reflect that back from a vibe perspective. That lands with me. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. And I like this calling it uh, the vibe uh, perspective. That's that's good. Great. So now uh, we can just taking all of that in and everything that's been said, uh, re-enter into the conversation as you feel appropriate. I, I'm wondering, given the last thing I acknowledged, what whether or not the two of you think this is also something about the wise individual. The wise individual is capable of recognizing, sorry, this is gonna be clumsy, but that, that, and I'm not claiming I was wise. I'm just trying to use it as a, as a, as a, as a launching point, right? The ability to acknowledge the exemplification and not just the ability to pronounce or make utterances about the virtue. It, I think this is also something we see in the wisest individuals. They're able to see this something, the virtue showing up um, or whatever, um, and, and to, to point to it. And, and I'm wondering if, I'm wondering if, first of all, if that lands, and then secondly, if that is connected to this resonance with sacredness is, is part, is it part, like if we're rooted, I'm getting towards the question here, I think, if we're rooted in the way Bonita is suggesting, does that actually help us, does that actually help us to notice the exemplification of wisdom or of, of virtue um, and thereby enhance other people's and one's own ability to to respond to it, to be responsible to it, to enter into recognition and re and relationship to it, as opposed to just conceiving it. So the rootedness affords exemplification, which then calls us to a more I-thou relationship with it. And is that is that part of what is that part of the experience of it being more sacred for us? That, that's what I'm asking. If I may directly respond to that, John. Yeah. Because I very much agree, and I would like to directly bring it back also to the example of sacredness that Bonita was bringing before. Because my response to it was just a recognition of the truth that she was saying, how uh, when she was describing uh, the situation she was in, when she was pointing to the sacredness or the profoundness, whatever word you, you want to use, something was right. And it was obvious to me that this was the important level to come from. The point is, I, I'm not really able to argue that uh, with, with my mind. I, I, I could drive it. It's more an intuitive insight uh, that there's something profound that she hit. And I think it is important for me, for example, to respond to that in the way you were just saying, John, yeah. uh, to basically acknowledge when wisdom shows up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's also something where I, I 
I'm aware that I'm aware of something, but my maybe my cognitive understanding of this is not adequate to do that. But still, uh, in the way that I am uh, aware, this is profound. This is important because it was not only important as a story; it was also important as a moment in mm-hmm. our conversation because something showed up that, for me, exemplified wisdom. Uh, that I find relevant for the whole conversation. In, in that sense, uh, it is also important to say that because then it becomes uh, obvious. Mm. Yeah, there was there's there was two things for me. One, I, I, I was sort of sensing, if you'll allow me, the wisdom that was emerging between us. But I also had that moment where Benita was sort of shining, right, with this. And you, I was, I, that's why I wanted to slow down and really make sure I was keying into you because you were doing this gesture with your hands and you were shining something. And I really wanted to make sure I was uh, getting into right relationship. So I, I yeah, I, 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 I intend, I should, I, maybe I was pointing a little too much to one another. Both of those were happening for me, Tomas. I was getting both of those exemplification both uh what was happening between us but also what was happening like in benita as she like she was exemplifying the rootedness that she was pointing to it i could really feel it and i wanted to slow down i wanted to make sure i caught it as opposed to just thought about it um so yes very much And, and and so am i hearing you right that you would acknowledge that that capacity of acknowledgement recognition Right, is also something that's central to the wise person. I think it's uh, uh, it, it's a very central part because it is the capacity to respond to wisdom as it shows up. Right, right, right. And also uh, to respond from a place that uh, is maybe uh, more from a rooted place than my kind of co- cognitive capacity yeah, to yeah, yeah. Uh, now explain why this. Uh, maybe I cannot. Maybe I can explain this. But I can come from a place where I recognize, and where I also have the guts to respond to that. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, if that is so, uh, wisdom can show up in the conversation or in the situation in in a way because it can, becomes recognized. And even if 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 I'm responding to something that uh, doesn't uh, uh, qualify in, in the end, uh, it, there's there's something in 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 the opening. To take the risk that allows wisdom to really uh, show itself. I think that's very well said. There's there's something I'm, I just, I wanted to I wanted to be in right relationship with, and then there was like I said, Benita really sort of shone for me um, in that, and I wanted to I I didn't want to just snapshot it with thought. I wanted to. Hmm. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm struggling here, but I, I wanted to be in right relationship and comprehend. I wanted to, I wanted to catch what was happening in Benita. Uh, that's the best word, like the best way I could put it. Um, uh, and 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 I, and I think this is really important. Benita, did you like? Is any of this landing for you? Like, did you get any sense from your side of anything happening around that? Or. Yeah, um, I mean, one small thing is that in the example I gave 
it's it's a small it's not a trivial thing is that um wisdom i think shows up more easily or more prominently when you are working on a specific problem i mean this is something i argue kind of a little bit different than you um, it's my argument against um, some some dialogical practices that don't have the world, that they're just kind of investigating each other's psyches. I think mm-hmm. that dialogue is a three-legged stool, and you have to have the world as the third yeah. leg. Um, now, having said that, there's also the practice of dialoguing just to get the two, two legs going, uh, is kind of a world project. So, um, and the reason why I bring that up is because I'm noticing that this is a little bit missing in this conversation. Um, you know, we do have a, the project called the Respond Network. It's not very clear what it is. So I think um, I'm a big believer that um, the world grounds uh, these kinds of questions and dialogues in a way that's very powerful. Um and uh, so I just want to say that because I was contrasting while you were talking. Why is this not like I try to listen and kind of do the same thing? And, and I think it's, it's because of that. We're producing a magazine. It's very clear. We have deadlines. All these things, these real life, the world is extremely helpful. So I want to point that out. And the other thing um, that... I want to note is what Thomas said. This is a very interesting uh, uh, thing you can listen for. And that is when people start saying, like, when does wisdom, it showed up, it showed up. What does that mean? Like, it showed up. And the sense of we were we entered a state of grace and it showed up, right? Mm-hmm. And this is a very interesting um, key, I think, um, to listen for because there's a point at which when people fall into wisdom, whatever that means, that phrase, um, you get the sense that that you're causally attached to this partner, but it's not you. It's not me. It has shown up. It has come into presence. I know, John, you have language for this from from uh, the Greeks. So, um, uh, yeah, that's just always interesting. Whenever you hear hear someone switch from the even the I, the thou, to the it, and of course, we don't mean like some physical material it. It's this other kind of sacred it yeah yeah i think that's very important i just want to flag that there's people use it that's beyond the i thou as opposed to beneath the i thou and 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 they're and they and they are often uncomfortable in just the way uh you've indicated because we of course automatically assume the it is like a manipulable object that is a standing reserve for us and just there for our use. Whereas what they're trying to point to, yeah, um, yeah. And I've been trying with Chris's help and other people to try and rename it. Uh, <laughs> I just did it uh, so that we don't have to say it. Um, uh, uh, and it's a tricky thing because 
Um, it, it, it's, and I, I, it's something I, I'm still working on, and, and maybe both of you are too. Uh, what is right relationship to that phenomenon, uh, and what is that? And and for me, this is kind of like one of the most neglected but important dimensions of the wise person is they could give a good answer to that question, not necessarily in words, but uh, some combination of words, traits, virtues, actions, demeanor, comportment, all of that. They, that would be the answer. But um, because I, like, we have such a monological focus in our society, um, it's, it, 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 it's, it's made people insensitive. Um, and it's like when we're doing these practices in the workshops and people recover that and they get the sense of intimacy, not only with other people, but with the, the logos or the geist, that's a, that, 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 like, like that. And, and what's really interesting. And, and, and this is to try and weave it back. I, I'm making an observation here. And I don't know what theoretical status to give, but when they, when they, when they, when they realize intimacy with the third, that somehow also carries them into a recovery in almost token sense of an intimacy with the world. It, it sort of opens them up to right, rethinking how the world can be present to them. I'm, I, I'm struggling a little bit here, here, but there's, we, we might be tempted to think, you know, you just do, you just do a, a kind of spiritual bypass. You go up and you get all up in here and you're just about the wee space and everything. And Thomas, I'll ask you if you found this too, but when people start to resonate with the we space as another term for, right, I, I find that sometimes that becomes something that carries them into the depths of the world or they start to think about the world or, or reality. And I, and I don't, and I don't mean conceptually. I don't mean they're talking about abstract concepts. They feel like they're, like they're falling in love with the world again, not just with other people and with themselves. That's what I, and for me, there's that, that, right? There's, there's that aspect of Thomas. Does this make any sense in your experience with, with, with it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, what comes to me is also uh, uh, that there are, to my understanding, two different understandings of world here that we're talking about. Right. Yes. Yes. One is the world out there. Yeah. Uh, but the other is basically the world as this undivided wholeness. Uh, we are part taking. Yes. And when people speak that way, this undivided wholeness that we are part taking shows up. And yeah. then uh, it's also, you, you can call it an it, but basically it's, uh, it's the world as a wholeness. Yes. Uh, that is not separate from myself and it's not separate from the conversation and it's not separate from the world out there. But there's a wholeness showing itself uh, that also becomes, because it becomes obvious, uh, it also uh, has its own intelligence in that. So somehow the intelligence changes uh, because mm -hmm. of things coming together and we coming together. It's interesting also when Bonita brought this about the world missing. I, I had a very interesting experience because I first again felt for me, uh, that's right. Something felt right in this moment. Mm -hmm. But also I felt very with Bonita. It was kind of a non, uh, uh, there's Bonita, there's me. 
I felt together in the in the experience that you were sharing, and that's maybe the world that you are pointing to, John. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it, it's the world that we sort of. It's it, yeah. I, I think the way you put it, it's 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 not the world like it's the object that I'm against. It's the world in the sense of participation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and yes, very much, and, and that actually affords us being with other people in a deep sense. Yes, I. If if the, yeah, that's I, what I'm hearing you, and I I think that's right. I, I think we can drop a little deeper now, uh, based upon how this this has moved, and um, again, it's directionality, uh, and so that was beautiful. Thank you, Thomas. And when the it comes up, it, this is what I want to say: you can't be in love with the it because because it's 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 an incredible experience of humility the it loves you unconditionally 100 percent and there's nothing you can do in return nothing there's nothing you can do in return when it shows up and so it's not dialogical it's not an i thou it's 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 using this terms, there's nothing you can do when it shows up. It's incredibly humiliating. You are propelled by that. So you, 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 and so this notion of wholeness, you can't be in relationship to wholeness. In process philosophy, wholeness is internally related to you. So you cannot develop an external relationship with it. And this is the glue of intersubjective conversation. I can be externally related to you through the I thou. And then when it shows up, it and you, it is internally related to all of us. But we cannot be in relationship to the it. I agree. That's very strange wording, but I don't know how else to say it. I don't find it strange at all. I find that uh, I find that present in one reading of, of Neoplatonism. Yeah. Uh, the, the the dialectic into dialogos gives way to henosis, and henosis is not thinking. It is not dialoguing. It is not discussing. It it is this like like you said that this complete interpenetrative wholeness oneness. And the mistake people make is then try to be in relationship with it. And now you're in relationship with a thought or another round of conceptualizing and, and, and it's stuff. Well, the, the, and, and now you, what you've pointed to is um, uh, the history, uh, 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 at least relevantly similar histories within Christianity and Buddhism and Taoism, um, right, about this um, and, and, and for me, this um, this goes towards non-theism as beyond theism, because theism is ultimately, as you said, um, a relational model. And non-theism says the relational model is ultimately grounded in something, uh, like you said, internal wholeness, oneness. Um, I, I, the 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 um, it's a question though, which is then 
there seems to be another thing <laughs> in the sense of uh, skill or trait or capacity. The wise person can hold those two, the dialogical and what's beyond it, right, properly. Uh, like you say, not holding the one as in dialogue, but not seeing the one as also somehow separate from. Like they have a phrase in the Neoplatonic tradition, is it is included but not enclosed, it is beyond but not excluded, right? It, it, right? It, it, so like you can you can dichotomize it too, which is also problematic, right? Uh, there, there's there's uh, uh, if the one doesn't include its relationship to that which is not one in the dialogos and etc., then it's not fully one because then it's not a source. Um, and we're getting into some pretty abstract philosophy, but I, I want to try and see if we can bring it around. What would that mean, right? What would that what does that mean? Like what 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 do we do? What traits do we cultivate such that we I don't know, that we are improper. You see, the language escapes me because you can't be in relationship to the oneness. That's your point. But nevertheless, how do we hold the oneness and the and the dialogical um together within us, not together within the one? I'm trying to, I'm trying to I, I, my language is falling apart here, but I'm trying to get at an issue here. Because Benita, you're pointing to mistakes that people can make, and I agree with you. And then that raises the question, how do we not make those mistakes? And that seems to be a, a kind of deep dimension to wisdom. How do we not make those mistakes is what I'm trying to ask. There, that's how I want to put it. Um, when you say th those mistakes, uh, which mistakes do you mean, John? The mistake of thinking that we are in relationship to the oneness, the wholeness, and uh, and thereby confusing that, like Benita was saying, we don't enter into a relationship with the it, but instead it it encompasses us, enfolds us. I, all the language is inadequate, mm -hmm. and, right? Right, and I, I'm acknowledging that out of ahead because it's it's it, it's it's invoking the very thing that we're trying to call into question. So mm -hmm. I acknowledge that, but nevertheless, there's mistakes people make where they confuse these different things oneness and dialogue in like ways that are misleading disconnecting um self-deceptive that's what i heard benita saying there's mistakes people make and if there's a mistake right uh, right is what what do, what is it that allows us to not make those mistakes i'm trying to use negative language here as much as possible i mean what comes directly uh, the response is um, by, by responding. Um, but there is also something where, where I have a slightly different experience because when you say it's not relational, my experience is, is not relationship, relational and it is at the same time. Yes, that's what I was trying to say. But it, it uh, has and that's part of the trick. And I also see, I mean, now we get again into uh, history of uh, cultural history and uh, uh, history of philosophy, um, it seems to me that uh, the wisdom tradition in the East and the wisdom tradition in the West kind of uh, went in different direction in that, yeah. cultivating on one hand, let's say the Tao, and on the other hand, the I-Tao relationship, which includes my individuation and which includes everything kind of where, where 
it's very easy to to uh, thingify everything, including the absolute in that, and that's kind of where, where, we, where we go. But there is also truth to that because they you, you have to let go of that. There's there's something where it's not relational, but there's also something where um, there is a, a dignity of the individual uh, in in the, in 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 the modern European sense. Uh, that I feel also necessary to be bring in there, and it's I can't solve this contradiction because it, it is and is not, but it's impo important for me to, uh, to also bring bringing there is something where I am also in relationship, although it's beyond that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're not standing outside of it in order to relate to it, but there's still yeah. something. Yes, yeah. I, I understand. Yeah, uh, the West is doing this really. It, it, it's claiming that God is is both the one and a thou, which is really, really, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I think we need better mental models. Um, uh, um, so, for example, one that just came up when Thomas was speaking about it is relational, relational, and it isn't. Um, again, we have this word, we only have one word to talk about different things. And so my sense of it is it comes and you can't be in relationship to it because you're swimming in it here at this moment. The interesting thing, it turns out that, you know, it's impermanent. It is, it's on, it's, it's, it comes and it's passing as soon as it comes. This is the nature of everything. But it's as if it doesn't pass like go somewhere. It gets absorbed in everyone there and it and it and it eliminates itself by being absorbed into the individuals and then their dialogue changes. And then it happens again. And then the dialogue changes. So it's not that it disappears or goes somewhere else. It it's like a sponge. The water disappears and then it's wrung out again or disappears. And so one of the things we need are more mental models that explain this kind of, you know, the, the, the processual nature of these experiences that we have. So that's one, and it just came up for me now. But an, another thing we need, you know, if we're gonna teach this without like, you know, uh, sounding, you know, the guru, guru always gets into like, sound, well, yes, there's a self and there's not a self. You know, this is not helpful. We need better stories. We need to make better and stories of what these experiences are like. And another uh, powerful mental model that we use, uh, that I use is we have this one term, the seed like the acorn, it's the seed of a tree, right? So that's called a seed. And then the tree grows and 40 years later, it produces seeds. Now, the seeds that it produces is not the same category as the seed that it comes from, but we only have the same word. And this is true for whole part relationships. The whole that the tree came from is the seed and the seeds are parts that unfold from that whole. And so 
one of the things that people get confused with the one in the many is that the as soon as the transformation happens, that word one is doing different work. And we get very confused. And so some of these fundamental principles that we talk about um, in this work, we need to develop, uh, yeah, develop more ways to and story what the, these experiences are like, because it's very confusing. The whole you end up with at the end of the day, the seed, the new, the new seed is not the whole that the whole thing came from, right? One's a generative whole and one's, so th there's language for that. So I think that's part of the work. I think that's right. Uh, I'm hoping that we're not just, we're not just, I don't think we are. We're not, I think we're trying to, uh, I'll turn it into a verb. I think we're trying to in story. I think mm -hmm. the degree to which we're noticing how it's showing up. Um, is we're trying to uh, create the possibility of doing what you're recommending, that we start to create new um, metaphors, new stories, uh, new rituals. Uh, we need a whole constellation of those. Um, I agree. I mean, this problem you put your finger on was recognized in the tradition. The one at the apex of Neoplatonism is not the one of counting. It is not the one of individuation, right? Uh, the, uh, um, but coming up with, I, I liked your, I liked your water flow uh, metaphor. I thought that was really good. It was very Taoist, but I really liked it. <laughs> right, um, for that. Um, I um, we only had down this up to two thirty, and I do have to go at two thirty. Um, oh, I I feel bad about this because it feels abrupt, but I have a commitment that I do have to go to. Um, although I think, if if I may, I think ending on uh, Benita's proposal is a good provocative way to bring it to a close. But this was a good beginning to my mind. This yeah. was a very good beginning. Cool. Well, thanks, everyone. Do, do, are you guys going to scribe and vibe? Yeah, we should do one. Can we do one more scribe and vibe? Sure, we can scribe and vibe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess John can catch it on the yeah on the listening cool. after. Um, so from the scribe perspective, uh, wisdom became present between us, or something became present between us. Benita was kind of shining forth with a rootedness that John wanted to catch. He wanted to catch what was happening in her, something beyond a sort of cognitive snapshot of what's happening right now, but something deeper. Than, um, and Thomas was aware of something that his cognitive machinery not, might not have yet comprehended, but it seemed right and was important, uh, not only as a story, but as a moment. And what she said felt right, and he felt together with her uh, and the experience she was, they, they were sharing. And then uh, sort of Benita brought up the wisdom shows up when you're working on specific problems in the world because the world grounds those problems and questions in a powerful way. And um, then we started to talk about this it that is a presence that is not you or I, but a sacred it beyond the I thou. Um, and John started to wonder what's the right relationship to that phenomenon, proposing that maybe a wise person could respond well to that question with their life. Hmm. Uh, uh, 
one of the problems of our modern world is was pointed out that people have become insensitive to intimacy with this logos or geist um, and when they realize that intimacy with the third the it the we space they recover and open an intimacy with the world that's not conceptual but it's more like falling in love with the world again not just with themselves or with other people um, and then we had two different understandings of the world the world out there or the world as an undivided wholeness in which we take part um, and the wholeness shows itself becomes obvious has its own intelligence that changes things and this is the world of participation that allows us to be with others in a deeper sense. Um, people make the mistake of trying to relate to the wholeness as a thou, was the initial thing, thought, but it is and is not relational at the same time. Um, it's impermanent and comes and it's passing as it comes. And so it gets absorbed in everyone there and changes the dialogue and eliminates itself through that. And just like noticing that dynamic, Benita proposed that we need better stories, metaphors, rituals, of what these experiences are actually like, um, so that we can see when the transformation happens, the one means something else. We don't have a real good way to conceive of that. And so if we have a better story, more metaphor, ritual, we may be able to capture it better and, and integrate it better into our lives. Yeah, I'll just say real quick from a vibe perspective, it seemed like, um, in the second movement, there was much more of a willingness to kind of touch and be touched. The sort of human element of the conversation, it felt much more like there was contact happening. And the um, level of like kind of conviviality seemed higher insofar as there was more ability to challenge. And so that was one of the striking environments. Thanks, everyone. This is fun. Do it again soon. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, everyone. Bye, everyone. <laughs>